Blog Talk Radio. The B I B I L E that's the book for me. The B I B I L E that's the book for me. That's right. The answers for life's most important questions are in Via Vili, also known as the Bible. And thanks for listening to me, Melissa Cantola, here on Truth Be Told Radio. And I'm going to get started with the lesson. Merry Christmas, as this uh, day that I'm doing, doing the show on is Christmas. So Merry Christmas, and also hope you have a happy new year. And here is the lesson. This is John MacArthur with the King Fulfilled Prophecies. And just as Pharaoh, that cruel king, had tried to destroy Israel, so another cruel king by the name of Herod was attempting to kill the Son of God. Just as God protected his son Israel in Egypt and delivered them, so God protected Christ his son in Egypt and delivered him. The Messiah 
Messiah is a recapitulation of the picture in Israel. There are many miracles that get our attention at Christmas. The virgin birth, the star of Bethlehem, the angels appearing to the shepherds, and much more. Yet even more important than the miraculous circumstances of Christ's birth is the reason that he came. And that's John MacArthur's focus today on Grace to You as John continues his series titled The Birth of the King. Before the lesson, though, John, it won't be long before many in our listening family start heading to Christmas celebrations with their own families. And so with that said, what encouragement would you have for our listeners as they look toward December 25th? Well, I think, again, it's um, it's the one time in the year when it's sort of allowed to talk about Christ, hmm. even in the most resistant environment, even in the face of people who really don't have any interest in Christ. It's It's an unavoidable reality at Christmas, and I think it just reminds us of the advantage that we have as long as this is the conversation anyway, you need to turn that conversation to the realities of why he came and make sure you prepare the gospel. I think um, you can be um, circumspect in the way you do that. It's wonderful to ask questions. Do you know about Christmas? What do you think about the realities of Christmas? Um, did you know, for example, whatever whatever you, you, you might want to tell them that isn't common knowledge? Maybe you know some of the backstory of Christmas. I just think you need to introduce the conversation at a time like this, because this is the time when it's in the general conversation anyway, so it's not an intrusive time. And I also think very often we pass each other like ships in the night, and we don't get the time to sit down and really talk and interact over things because life is so busy. But this season seems to put people in groups uh, for a longer period of time. Maybe it's a party. Maybe it's a family visit. Maybe it's around a table and a meal. And it lends itself to a more full and rich conversation about Christmas, which can lead to you explaining the significance of Christmas. And I would just add as a footnote, don't expect an immediate response because the task is to start by sowing the seed, and then maybe God comes along and waters it, and eventually God may choose to give the increase. So make sure you take the opportunity to speak of Christ and see how the Lord might use that. That's right, and thank you, John. Now, friend, to help prepare you for conversations you might have with non-believers in the next few days, and to encourage you with powerful truth about the reason Jesus was born, Here's John MacArthur continuing his Christmas study titled, The Birth of the King. Matthew, as we know by now, is presenting Jesus Christ as the King. Presenting Jesus Christ not only as the King, but as the King of Kings. Not only as the King of Kings, but as the Anointed of God. In other words, he is God's special choice as King. The monarch of all men, the monarch of all time, the ruler of the universe. And Matthew is starting out from the very beginning of his gospel of his look at Jesus Christ to do this. He just begins that way in the flow of the kingship of Christ, the royalty of Christ, the regency of Christ just goes right on through all 28 chapters. And even surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, it is Matthew's special emphasis that we would see Jesus as king. Jesus, it says in the Old Testament, the anointed, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the one who is to come, the great prophet, will be associated with Bethlehem, Egypt, Ramah, and Nazareth. All four of those things will have a place of significance in his birth. Now let's look at these. 
They are so specific as to eliminate any pretender and so specific as to solidify the real claimant to the throne, the Lord himself. Let's begin with the first one. We'll call it the birth at Bethlehem. The birth at Bethlehem. And for that, Matthew quotes Micah 5, 2 and says, Out of Bethlehem Jesus comes. Little insignificant Bethlehem from which no one would expect a great monarch, from which no one would look for a king. And that's precisely from where the king will come. The king comes to Bethlehem. The birth is Bethlehem. Mark it. Nobody throughout all the history of God's dealing with Israel, whoever claimed to be the Messiah, has any right to that claim if he was not born in Bethlehem. That's the place. The king comes to Bethlehem. The birth is there. Now let's move to the second prophecy. We've already discussed that one in great depth. The birth at Bethlehem. And in that birth, we see homage from the wise men, hatred from Herod. But we see prophecy number one fulfilled. That's important to Matthew. The king will come to Bethlehem. Mark it. Jesus did. Now, number two, the second I call the exodus to Egypt. The exodus to Egypt. Now we're in verse 13. And when they were departed, that is the wise men, the magi, an angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, and remember now, this is not a dream like you think of a dream. This is a semi-conscious state where there is not a dreamed-up idea in the fantasy of the human mind. There is an actual confrontation with an angel, something unique to biblical periods of revelation. It happened to Peter when he was trying to get some sleep up on the rooftop in Joppa. And so it was a special kind of dream, and an angel appeared to Joseph. And he said, Arise and take the young child and his mother. And note that every time you'll see those two together, you'll always see the child named first because he is the story. Flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now the wise men or the magi departed according to the beginning of the verse. When they got away, they were warned of God, verse 12 says, in a dream also that they shouldn't return to Herod, and they departed their own country another way. The devices of men can never thwart the plans of God. As Pharaoh was prevented by God from destroying the Israelites by a divine intervention on God's part, so Joseph is divinely warned to escape just as the wise men were. God is protecting his son. God is protecting the Messiah. And the land of Egypt which had once been a place of bondage and a place of oppression, now becomes a haven. It now becomes a home. It now becomes a hiding place. It now becomes a refuge for the little family escaping from imminent danger. Notice he says, Arise and take the young child and flee. Interesting Greek word. Fuge, from which we get what? Fugitive. Flee. It's a present imperative, which means it's continuous action. Begin the process of fleeing. It was a long trip. Seventy-five miles to the border of Egypt and at least a hundred miles further into the heart of the land. Could be 175 miles that they went. And that would take days and weeks because they couldn't move too fast with a baby. And they were to flee to Egypt. A trip of many, many days. Now let me talk about Egypt for a minute at this point in history so you'll understand what's happening. Egypt was a natural asylum for the Jews. 
especially from the time of the Maccabean Revolt. Now, let me give you a little background real quick. It won't take me but 30 seconds. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a period of rule in Israel in which the Greek government ruled. Rome, we find, ruling in the New Testament. The powers in the old are Babylon and Medo-Persia. That little gap in the middle is Greek power. During the Greek period, there was a revolution. That revolution was led by some people named the Maccabees, a Jewish family. They sort of got the revolution going. And from the time of that Maccabean revolution in what's called the intertestamental period, many Jews at that time began to flee into Egypt. Even prior to that, now mark this, even prior to that, Alexander the Great had set up the fact that Jews could live in Egypt. In fact, in one particular city of Egypt, which was his special city, have you heard of the city of Alexandria? He named it that after himself. And so when he conquered Egypt, he set this city together, Alexandria, and he allowed the Jews to have that city as a place of refuge. They could go there, they could come there, they could populate that area. So Egypt became rather highly populated with Jews. And it was a place of refuge and a place of safety and security where you wouldn't have to fear anything. And I personally believe that the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were God's provision for the little family so that they could dwell in Egypt because that would be very valuable. And no doubt they could sell that and trade that off for the things they needed to live on, at least until Joseph could find some work for the months in which he was there. But the main reason they were directed there was simply because that is exactly where the Old Testament said the Messiah had to go. Now, I'm not sure they knew that at the time. In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't know that because of the obscurity of the Old Testament text. But God knew it, and God was working out the plan. Now, Herod wanted to kill them, and Herod was just a pawn. It wasn't really Herod. It was the devil. It was Satan, who was a murderer. And so they were, they were then sent into Egypt, and notice the end of the verse, Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. God knew Herod's mind. God knew Herod's plot. He couldn't be a hypocrite with God. He couldn't fool God at all. The angel said, I'll be back, and you stay there till I come back and give you further word. So there was a promise that the angel would return. Now, people, it is absolutely incredible what some pea-brained people have come up with about what went on in Egypt. Let me just say this. The only thing we know about what went on in Egypt is in verse 13. Now, does that tell you a lot? Flee into Egypt. Stay there till I tell you. That's it. And yet there are literally volumes written on what went on in Egypt. Now, the Jewish rabbis in the Talmud believed that Egypt was the center of sorcery. And there were many Jews that taught that Jesus went into Egypt when he was young, learned sorcery, came back out and conned the world into believing he was the Messiah. Now, that's a Jewish teaching about Jesus Christ. And they get that all into white spaces in verse 13. He went into Egypt. Well, all we know about it is that he went into Egypt, and that's all we know. And he stayed there. But believe me, he didn't learn sorcery and come out and con the world by his magic. He went to Egypt because that was a part of the prophecy. Joseph obeyed the angel, verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. He went. In the darkness, it says, by night they escaped. And I'm sure they didn't tell anybody because if the word got out at the pace they could go, which would be so slow, Herod's soldiers would be hot on their trail and it would be a disaster. And so I'm sure they just stole away at night and never told a soul. 
And by the way, Matthew omits the details because he's not concerned with the details. He's concerned with the prophecy. Now look at verse 15. And was there, departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. Stop there. They stayed till Herod died. I don't believe it was very long. He died shortly before the Passover in March or April of 4 B.C. It would just be very brief time, maybe a couple of months. It's hard to be sure, but that might be a fair guess. Look at verse 19, which picks it up again. It says, When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So it was when Herod died that the angel came back and said, Now you're all right. Now you can go. So sometime after they left, Herod died. And then the angel appeared. But why did they go to Egypt? What was the prophecy? Look at the end of 15. All of this, not that they might be saved. Well, God could have done that any way he wanted. You see, God wanted to verify the credentials of the Messiah. And so he attached it to a prophecy. And it says, in order that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Listen, that's one of the most important statements you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Because it tells you that the prophets who wrote the pages of the Word of God were inspired by God himself. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. In other words, the Old Testament prophet was saying that the Son, the King, the Anointed, the Messiah, the Christ is to come out of Egypt. Well, listen, how could the child come out of Bethlehem and out of Egypt unless God worked some marvelous circumstances? God had set it all up long ago with Alexander the Great. God got Egypt ready for a couple of months' stay when he came there as a child. God runs history. And it all comes together in his plan. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Where does that come from? Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Now, I want you to see something of the context of that prophecy. Hosea 11:1 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now, notice something very interesting there. To whom does he refer in Hosea 11.1? 1? Who is the son there? Israel. Who is the son here? Christ. How can that be? Some people have said, well, now, wait a minute. When the prophecy was given, it was given in reference to a historical statement about Israel. There's not even a prophecy there. It's a past thing. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And any Bible scholar who studies the book of Hosea will simply tell you God is reflecting upon the time when he called Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Now, what's the prophecy? It isn't future. How does it relate to this thing? Well, that's what we want to talk about. Let me give you the message of Hosea for a minute. The message of Hosea is one of failure. It's one of decadence. It's one of tragedy in Israel. Hosea looks at Israel and says, you've been disobedient, you've been unfaithful, you've been sinful, you've been decadent. In fact, he says, you are a spiritual harlot. You are a spiritual prostitute. You are a spiritual adulteress, he says to Israel. In fact, this is the worst condition Israel's ever been in when Hosea writes. Now, he is pouring out against Israel these judgments. You harlot, you adulteress, you prostitute, you whore is a term that's used. This is what you've been, unfaithful to God who betrothed you. 
racing after false gods who have become your lovers. Well, Hosea really dramatically illustrates this with his own life. God brought into his life the most tragic personal experience you could ever imagine. He married a woman. Her name was Gomer. That's a bad start. <laughs> but anyway, he married her. And she was untrue. And she became what the Bible calls a wife of whoredom. She ran off after every lover that she wanted. She went after so many lovers. I'm sure Hosea lost count. She conceived children by these lovers. And dear Hosea's heart was so filled with love for her that he just waited and took all of this abuse and it shattered his heart. She was a slave to the sins of, the, of sex, but he deeply loved her. And dear old Hosea, instead of rejecting her, instead of turning her off, instead of walking away, found her at the haunt of her shame, sought her out, went in there and laid out 15 pieces of silver and brought in a homer and a half of barley and paid and said, here, I'm going to buy her back. And he bought back that harlot. He bought back that prostitute, restored her to the place of his wife, restored her to the place of honor and gave back to her all the love that she had spurned. That was his own personal experience. And he says to Israel, he says, look, when I talk to you about how God's heart is broken by your spiritual idolatry, I know what God feels. I've been there. That's what he's saying. Just as Hosea had married Gomer, God had become Israel's husband. Just as Hosea loved her, God loved Israel. Just as Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, so was Israel unfaithful to God. Just as Gomer was enslaved by her lovers, so was Israel enslaved by her idolatrous idols. Gomer put her trust in lovers, and they made her a slave. Israel put her trust in idols, and they made her a slave. And just as Hosea's tender love reached out and bought back his wife, so Jehovah reached out in love and took back the remnant that was willing to come back. That's the message of Hosea. So when Hosea's heart was broken, when he had seen the idol and the ideal of his dreams wrecked before his eyes, when he had suffered the worst agony that a human being could ever know, then God said, Hosea, now you know how I feel. Now be my preacher. Now tell him. What's in my heart? Now make them understand. And this tragic training of the prophet is at the heart of his message. And God wants Israel to know how much he loves them. And God wants Hosea to know how much he loves them. And God wants Hosea to know how much this hurts. And so he says in 11.1, look, when Israel was a child, I loved him. This love affair for an adulterous wife goes all the way back to when Israel was a child. And it was then that I called my son out of Egypt. This isn't something late. This isn't way down the line. This isn't sort of the last lover in the long line. This is the one that I started to love when Israel was a child. In other words, this passage emphasizes the incredible love that God has for Israel and always has had from the time Israel was just a child 
and in bondage in Egypt, held under the power of Pharaoh. It was then that God set his love and sought to redeem his people. When Matthew quotes Hosea and applies it to Christ, what's that saying? He says here, this is that which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet would be fulfilled out of Egypt. Have I called my son? And here, beloved, you're introduced to one of the most fabulous concepts in all the Bible. We call it types. Israel is a type of whom? Christ. You know what a type is? A type is a non-verbal prediction. It is a non-verbal prediction. A prophecy is a verbal prediction of a future event. A type is a non-verbal prediction. There are texts in the Old Testament that tell us God is going to send a Savior who will die. There are other texts that don't say that. They just tell us about the sacrifice of a lamb. But every little lamb that ever died was a picture of who? Jesus Christ. A non-verbal picture. And listen to me. Nonverbal predictions called types in the Bible are no less potent, no less powerful, and no less direct than a verbal prophecy. One of my favorite studies is the study of types. I remember doing a paper in seminary which was so rich for me. I read in that area because it fascinates me. Great book by Patrick Fairbairn on types. There's been tremendous effort given in that field. Now, I'll tell you what I believe about types. I believe, I'm kind of a narrow guy on this, I believe the only types, legitimate, true types, are those stated in the New Testament to be a type. Okay? Otherwise, we're going to do havoc with the Old Testament. You know, every hair on somebody's head is a picture of something. We'll go wacko if we're not under control. So I believe that types are ultimately, now listen, types are ultimately fulfilled in and only in the New Testament writer's definition. So that Israel is a type because Matthew, inspired by the Spirit of God, here makes Israel a picture of Christ. What they were, without even saying it, is a picture of what He will be. As God called His Son Israel out of Egypt, that is a picture of what He'll do when His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is called out of Egypt. You see? That's a biblical type. Non-verbal prediction. Jesus actually went back through the history of his people to fulfill the type, the picture. And just as Pharaoh, that cruel king, had tried to destroy Israel, so another cruel king by the name of Herod was attempting to kill the Son of God. Just as God protected his son Israel in Egypt and delivered them, so God protected Christ, his son, in Egypt and delivered him. The Messiah is a recapitulation of the picture in Israel, a type. And believe me, don't you ever underestimate the solidity and the absolute nature of biblical types. When the New Testament writer says that's a picture, that is what it was intended to be. And I think that there's a sense in which the type here is even more than a type. Because there's a sense in which the bond is closer than that. 
Israel is not only a type of Christ, there is almost a bond that's indivisible in this sense. You see, Christ was in the loins of Israel then. And if Israel had never been brought out of Egypt, he would never have even been born. So he was really there in a sense. Had Israel been destroyed, the Messianic prophecy could never have been fulfilled at all. So when Israel was called out, Christ came out then with them, didn't he? So the message of Hosea was long forgotten. The time of degeneration went on even to Jesus' day. The days of Israel's whoredom and prostitution were still going on. But finally the prophecy of Hosea came back like a bolt of lightning out of the sky. Out of Egypt have I called my son. As of old, God loved Israel when a child and brought him out of Egypt. So now his love centers on the Messiah. He brings him out of Egypt. In fact, beloved, let me tell you something. The great prototype of salvation in the Old Testament is the act of God delivering Israel from Egypt. That's the prototype. Let me add a footnote, and I love this thought. When the Lord Jesus returns in righteousness to reign over the earth, when he comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, did you ever notice what the prophets tell us? Just mark these down. Isaiah 19, Zephaniah 3. Isaiah 19, Zephaniah 3. You know what they tell us? Listen to this. Don't look them up. Just listen. When the Lord Jesus returns to reign in righteousness over the earth, one of the nations that is going to be given a special place of blessing in the millennial kingdom is Egypt. Did you know that? You say, Egypt? Oh, man. You mean Egypt, the Egypt that held them in bondage, oppressed them, made them make bricks without straw? You mean rotten, idolatrous, phony Egypt? They've been so hostile to Israel. Could it be that the blessing of Egypt in the millennium is a token of divine gratitude for a country that granted sanctuary to the Son of God when he was a baby? Maybe. So, the birth at Bethlehem the Exodus from Egypt. This is Grace to You with John MacArthur. Thanks for being with us. Along with teaching here on the radio, John also serves as Chancellor of the Masters University and Seminary. His current study is looking at how God came to mankind to bring salvation to needy sinners. That's the title of John's study, The Birth of the King. And friend, a reminder that the end of the year is a crucial time for us. Year-end gifts from friends like you cover about a quarter of our annual budget. If you'd like to partner with us to keep verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching on the air, it's a great time to do that. So thank you for expressing your support when you contact us. You can mail your gift to Grace to You, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. You can also make a one-time donation or set up a convenient recurring donation when you call between 7.30 and 4 o'clock Pacific Time at 855-GRACE. That number translates to 800-554-7223. Or you can donate online at gty.org. That's our website, gty.org. And when you visit there, Make sure to take advantage of the thousands of free Bible study resources, tools that are designed to help you understand and apply the Bible to your own life. At the website, you'll find blog articles, daily devotionals, more than 3,500 sermons, all free to download. 
You can also read those sermons in transcript format. And if you're not sure what to check out first, a great option is Grace Stream. That's a continuous broadcast of John's teaching through the New Testament. You can find Grace Stream and much more at gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson, encouraging you to tune in tomorrow when John looks at the prophecies Jesus fulfilled at his birth and why those prophecies are something to celebrate at Christmas. The birth of the King, that's John's study. Be here for another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You. God with us. This is Ken Ham inviting you to join us for Christmas Town at the Creation Museum south of Cincinnati. O Come, O Come Emmanuel has a different tone than most Christmas carols, a tone of longing. The song is rich in Old Testament allusions. That includes messianic titles from the Old Testament that foreshadow Jesus and what he would come to do. It begins with Israel longing for the Messiah to arrive and ends with the church longing for Christ's second coming. It's a beautiful picture of the already of salvation and the not yet as we await Christ's eternal kingdom. As believers, we rejoice that Jesus has come and made a way of salvation. And as we look at this broken world, we long for the day when Emmanuel comes again. Stroll a dazzling garden of lights, reflect on a live nativity, and much more during Christmas Town at the Creation Museum, a free event. Learn more at AnswersRadio.com.
Jesus Christ is born. This is Ken Ham, and it's a winter wonderland here at Christmas Town at the Creation Museum. As we get closer to Christmas, we're looking at the theology of popular Christmas carols. Now, today's is Go Talent on the Mountain. This carol is a joyous celebration of the good news that Jesus Christ is born. And it's an encouragement to share that news with everyone. Indeed, it's a reminder to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But it's not enough for us to proclaim that Jesus is born. Most people don't even know why that's good news. One line says, God sent us salvation. That's the key. Jesus came to provide salvation. And that means we need to tell everyone everywhere the bad news of their sin, but the good news of the Savior. There's so much more to learn about God's Word and the Gospel message at AnswersRadio.com. And view a full transcript of this program when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Everything I see Covered up in light Everything is known 
mission to call the church back to the authority of God's Word. We Three Kings of Orient are. Now this song originally written for a pageant honors the journey of the wise men, but is it biblical? Well we don't know for sure how many wise men visited Jesus, and they weren't kings, they were magi or wise men. But this carol is still beautiful for its Christology. The first gift, gold, is for Jesus, King forever, ceasing never. Frankincense owns a deity nigh, who is God on high, worthy of our worship. And myrrh represents Jesus' ultimate purpose, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Then the song ends with Jesus arising as King. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Delivery. Merry Christmas to each other. I remember when people used to say things like Merry Christmas to each other. Everybody said Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Lowenstein. <laughs> you know why? Because it wasn't about a religion. It was about something as a cult that we thought was so valuable that we'd all do it together, even if I disagreed with the religion behind it, because it was good for all of us instead of just me. But what do you say now? Happy holidays. See, I just say happy holidays because I don't want to say Christmas because you don't believe in Christmas because I don't want to offend you. So. <laughs> Just there's no way to avoid it. Oh, it's Jesus came down to take the 
Tidings of comfort and joy. This is Ken Ham celebrating Christmas at the Christmas time event at the Ark Encounter. The message of Christ's birth is one of comfort and joy for believers. And that's the refrain of the Christmas carol we're looking at today. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Now this song isn't really about happy gentlemen. It's about God keeping us full of joy, even in anxious times. Don't dismay, Christ is born. He's defeated Satan. That reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words, Rejoice in the Lord. The carol then describes the shepherds hearing the good news and rushing to see the newborn Jesus. It includes elements like abandoning sheep to a storm and Mary kneeling in prayer. Well, it's a wonderful celebration. Plan your visit to our two free Christmas events, Christmas Time at the Ark Encounter and Christmas Town at the Creation Museum when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Snow in the snow. 
producer of the Chronological Bible Program, Answers Bible Curriculum. In the bleak midwinter is a more obscure Christmas carol than others we've looked at this week. Its theme is how the Lord Almighty, adored by angels, condescended to come and arrive in the most humble way, laid in a manger. Now this song features elements not mentioned in scripture, such as animals surrounding Jesus, Mary worshipping him, and a stable. It also places Jesus' birth at midwinter, but no one knows for sure. We must remember to separate traditional speculation from biblical fact. But this carol is a great reminder of Christ's humility, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient to death. Find resources to equip you to defend God's Word when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll find answers to your questions, encouragement, and more at AnswersRadio.com. If you
Nowhere does Jesus call himself the Father. He says he is one with the Father, John 10:30, but that is not the same as saying he is the Father. We worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom were distinctly observed by many at Jesus' baptism. As 1 John 4:14 says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world when we understand the text. Okay, today is June 1st. and personal, a place where you go deeper with people, a place where you really grow, right? 
Well, not long ago, I read that of all the possible ways Jesus chose to describe fellowship with us, he used the word suffering. Jesus did not say the fellowship of his joy or the fellowship of family or the fellowship of worship. No, he earmarked suffering as the way to know him more warmly, personally, and intimately. The fellowship of sharing in his suffering is where we go deeper with Jesus, a place where we grow. So make Philippians 3 your prayer today, saying, Jesus, I want to know you, sharing in the fellowship of your sufferings. So when you pray like that, you're well on your way to intimacy, real intimacy with Jesus Christ. Don't buy another pair of glasses until you've seen what this new They let you achieve a purpose. I like to think about the night long ago. With the son of God, Mary and Joe, I have to With a think about that baby boy and what he came to earth to do for me. He took away my sin and set me free. Now why?
sovereign, and I hope you do, then you will say things like, uh, God plans, he ordains, he allows, he permits things to happen. But know this, even when the devil asks permission of God to wreak havoc, it's not like he, he twists God's arm until the Lord caves in and says, okay, okay, back off, cause calamity if you must, Satan, but this far, no further. Uh-uh, no, God is never forced into granting the devil permission. God never runs behind Satan with a a mop and a bucket hoping to clean up the things the devil has ruined. God is never frustrated nor hindered by satanic schemes. The truth is, he actually uses devilish deeds for his own glorious ends, like at the cross, where God turned the world's worst murder into the world's only salvation. And if he did that, you can trust his purposes in your suffering. To sing and heavenly to sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Thank you. 
remember when I played the piano, my teacher had a tuning fork. When she would strike it, she could tell if her piano was out of tune. And if the piano resonated with the tuning fork, everything was perfect pitch. And I look at the word of God as my tuning fork. It'll let me know when my life is off pitch or when my behavior is dishonoring to the Lord or if my words and the conversation are way too self-focused. Left to my own devices, like an old piano, my life quickly goes off key. Left to yourself, you don't even know when you are off pitch. We don't even realize that we're dishonoring God or damaging our souls. So, the piano lesson here, Proverbs chapter 2 says, tune your ears to wisdom, and you'll find that wisdom every day in the Word of God. Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page as Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O.com. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B. T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com 
So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. In today's lessons, we'll talk about the Holy Bible, the most important book we all need for survival. The Bible is God's message for this world. It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl. And that message is that if we turn to Christ and place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life. Now when we're at church, yeah, it's fun, it's cool. When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school, like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel, David and Jonah, Joseph and Samuel, but all the little stories tell one big story about the God who made all things for his glory. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. Should we begin when God made the whole wide world just by speaking? By his great might, he said, let there be light. The light he called day and the dark he called night. He made the earth and the seas, the dirt and the seeds, the herds and the trees, the birds and the bees. But the big surprise God had up his sleeve on day number six created Adam and Eve. In the image of the beautiful most high God told them be fruitful and multiply Everything's yours but that tree do not try Cause in the day you eat it You're surely gonna die I'm sure you know the rest Yes they failed the test And ever since then the world has been a big mess So as we read the Bible it's important that we see this There's only one hero and his name is Jesus When we read God's word today, the greatest saints have their flaws on full display. And it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a staff. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. claim. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And get this, he upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. Right now, this instant, Jesus 
It's keeping the stars and the sun and all the galaxies in place. He's making sure the molecules that make up mountains and birds and beasts don't go disintegrating off into nightmarish chaos. And if that weren't enough, even as he was being crucified, Jesus was holding together the very muscles, sinews, tendons, and nerves in the hands of those brutal soldiers who drove in the nails. Jesus willed that his own executioners keep on living, and that's astounding. What mercy. And he went through all that to prove his love to you and me. What an insight into your astounding Savior.
different colors and different shades All differently and wonderfully made Through each the glory of God displayed God made me and you For all of our you, all our loss All of great need for the cross Jesus died, rose and paid the cross God made me and you Different colors and different shades All fearfully and wonderfully made Through each the glory of God displayed God made me and you For all of our you, all our loss All of great need for the cross Jesus died, rose and paid the cross God made me and you My quadriplegia can feel so confining I can't walk, use my hands, I sit in a wheelchair And sometimes all the restrictions feel so limiting. But there's one heavenly scripture that blows the lid off those confinements. Listen, God says in Malachi 4, verse 2, that one day Jesus is going to rise with healing in his wings. Like, isn't that cool? And, And here's the best part. We will, quote, go out and skip like calves released from the stall. I love that. Picture happy little calves released, barging out of the stall, Hopping, skipping to be freed from all the stuffy confines of the barn. That's us. And I cannot wait to jump out of my wheelchair and do just that. Want to join me, little calf? We'll make sure that you know this Jesus who will one day rise with healing in his wings for you.
prostitution in our society is more subtle than in other parts of the world, but still, people here snub Christians. But don't let it get you down. Be encouraged. Colossians says that persecution is part of what it means to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, that means that Jesus isn't walking on earth anymore, so people can't shove him around, but they can shove you. They can't get at Jesus, but they can get at you and me. They can't give Jesus the cold shoulder, but they can give it to us. So remember this the next time you are shunned, coffee break, or not invited to a certain gathering or ignored by your neighbor. Take it on the chin, but do it with a smile. After all, Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. i 
just how they can pray to you. I always say, pray that God will give me a job. Because, man, it is hard in this wheelchair. And I still want to finish well. And you know what? That's the truth. Because when you suffer, and when you suffer hard, you need endurance. You need the ability to courageously embrace everything that life throws at you. And when, by the grace of God, you do persevere with hope, then the very worst things that happen become a glorious step on the upward path toward knowing Christ better. Godly endurance is not a matter of bearing a hard thing. No, it is the spirit-blessed ability to turn that hard thing into something beautiful, something transformative and glorifying to God. Romans 15 calls our Savior the, quote, God of endurance. So if you need help enduring, you know where to go. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions, billions years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Supreme by far, not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are. There's none like you in existence. You are God and you need no assistance. Even though we show you resistance, you said Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man. According to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan. I changed even since this song began. Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us. All that you do will certainly last. You are the rock that we can trust. Shows us back in eternity past. As long ago as that was. As long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Beautiful, beautiful You never change, never change 
When I think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cost. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of this great cost. Saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust he died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. stunted notions of the love of God. We say to ourselves, I'm a Christian. Of course God's going to forgive me for whatever. I mean, come on, he loves me. That's his job. But the love of God is not at our beck and call. It is not tame. God's love is far more complex. The love of God, I think, can be best understood in relation to the hell you deserve. (laughs) And yes, you and I deserve hell. So, Let's not be complaining when God mercifully gives us just a tiny little taste of what that real hell would have been like for us were it not for Jesus. So, the love of God for you and me demonstrates his value, his worth, certainly not ours. God's love towards sinners shines out of what it is against. That is, the backdrop of our rebellion and the hell that should be ours. And that should prove to you the immeasurable, the astounding, amazing love of Jesus. That sweet voice is Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you want to see her more about her, that's, uh, excuse me, it's in, uh, on Johnny, uh, Johnny and Friends, it's spelled J-O-N-I. And it's a series called Diamonds in the Dust. That's where I've been playing this uh, show. So check that out. Johnny and Friends, J-O-N-I, Johnny and Friends. And that's on YouTube. And thanks for listening to me, Melissa Cantrola here on Truth Be Told Radio. Uh, you see my testimony, how I became Christian at smilesandstuff.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M, smilesandstuff.com. And thanks for listening to this special Christmas episode of Truth Be Told Radio. Enjoy us next time, next Sunday. And we're going to go out with Yancey and friends and the VIVLE. And bye for now. The beat.